everybody welcome once again as we continue on our study through the bible we're working through the bible together a chapter at a time quite an undertaking it's a 20-year journey and uh, and we're eight and a half eight and three quarters of a year in so we uh we're sticking to it and we're making progress we did all of the new testament we're working through the old testament now we've done genesis we've done exodus we've done leviticus we're just starting into the book of numbers and uh we're in the second chapter of the book of Numbers. And I, I said last week, a lot of times, just the title of the book sort of scares people off. Um, especially if you don't care for numbers. <laughs> numbers, I'll skip that. Um, and it's a, it can be a tough read. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Some parts of Scripture are harder to read than others. That's just the reality. Um, you'll hit it again. There are places in like Chronicles and Kings that aren't where the story is taking a little while to develop and uh, you're just sort of reading names and but there's reasons for those things and um, we'll take some of that into consideration as we go through it together uh, and as you've seen you know usually we do a chapter at a time and we're doing again a chapter but every now and again I'll do two or three chapters at once if it sort of warrants that we do that or we'll slow down a little bit if we need to um, but so far with numbers we're good and uh, a lot of times people will start reading numbers and they don't make it past chapter 3, 4, 5, somewhere in there because it kind of bogs down. But there's some really great stuff. And like I said last week, if you miss, and you don't get to chapter 6, you miss the priestly blessing, which is like one of my favorites. And you hear it all the time. And that's in Numbers chapter 6. So I think if we know why some of this stuff is here and what's going on and how it sort of um, points to the church and the, to the types of things that are going on and if we always remember that thread of redemption that we learned about in Genesis 3.15, you know, the, the crimson thread of redemption that starts right there after the fall, Genesis 3.15, and that thing just weaves its way through the Old Testament, and it's fascinating and works its way through the cross. So if we have those things, it kind of helps us in our study through the Old Testament. So in uh, chapter 1, um, you know, if you, if you remember, the, the, the census happens, the, the nation is counted, and they're they're you know they're getting prepared for this march to the promised land and this this battle that these multiple battles that they're going to go so the sort of the army is mustered if you would and, and um, now in this chapter it's sort of the they're going to get set in sort of their structural order for how they're going to march and how they're going to camp and how they're going to make this process and progress through. Um, and this journey into the promised land. And they're going to be arranged in a, in a certain way in sort of... Um, so the 12 tribes are going to be broken into, into four sets of three. And, um, um, and so we're, you're going to see the same numbers of the census repeated, but sort of um, same numbers in a new sort of organization that's going to happen. And, and you know, it's important to understand that the people of Israel, they're a community and... Um, the, the essential relationship, just like ours, is, is to God and to one another. Uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you, you always hear me say, you know, the, the things that are eternal in, in our life, as far as I can tell, are our relationship with God and our relationships with people in relationship with God. That's what's eternal. And so, so those should be the priorities of our lives. That should be the most important thing because that's what's going to be eternal. And yet, um, often throughout the course of our lives, we get sidetracked and distracted by things that are very temporary. And um, so we want to understand what matters. And this is what 
it's really getting set up in number two in numbers chapter two that sounded funny number two uh sorry that's just me i gotta grow up a little um uh, these are the things that are again established in this chapter. So let me uh, read it with you. Numbers chapter 2, verses 1 through 34. I'll be reading out of the NIV. That's what will be on the notes. But you can read out of uh, your translation if you like. That's great. Whatever you're using is good. Beginning in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, The Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting some distance from it, each man under his standard with the banners of his family. On the east towards the sunrise, the divisions of the camp of Judah are to encamp under their standard. The leader of the people of Judah is Nashon, son of Amminadab. His division numbers 74,600. The tribe of Issachar will camp next to them. The leader of the people of Issachar is Nathanael, son of Zuar. His division numbers 54,400. The tribe of Zebulon will be next. The leader of the people of Zebulon is Eliab, son of Helon. His division numbers 57,400. All the men assigned to the camp of Judah, according to their divisions, number 186,400, they'll set out first. On the south side will be the divisions of the camp of Reuben under their standard. The leader of the people of Reuben is Elijah, son of Shadur. Uh, his division numbers 46,500. The tribe of Simeon will camp next to them. And the leader of the people of Simeon is Shalumiel, son of Zerishadai. Remember what I, I said, if you, when you're reading these names, just act like you know what you're saying. And that's a big part of the battle. So his division numbers, but you shouldn't probably not smile when you know you're saying it wrong. But again, his division numbers 59,300. The tribe of Gad will be next. The leader of the people of Gad is Eliasaph, son of Duel. His division's number, his division numbers 46,650. All the men assigned to the camp of Reuben, according to their divisions, number 151,450, and they'll set out second. Then the tent of meeting and the camp of the Levites will set out in the middle of the camps. They will be, uh, they will set out in the same order as they encamp, each in his own place under his standard. On the west will be the divisions of the camp of Ephraim under their standard, and the leader of the people of Ephraim is Elashima, son of Amahud, Amahud. His division numbers 40,500. The tribe of Manasseh will be next to them. The leader of the people of Manasseh is Gamaliel, son of Pedajur. And his division numbers, numbers 32,200. The tribe of Benjamin will be next. The leader of the people of Benjamin is Abidan, son of Gideonai. His division numbers 35,400. All the men assigned to the camp of Ephraim, according to their divisions, number 108,100, they'll set out third. On the north will be the divisions of the camp of Dan under their standard. The leader of the people of Dan is Ahizer, son of Amishadai. His division numbers 62,700. The tribe of Asher will camp next to them. The leader of the people of Asher is Pegiel, son of Okran, and his division numbers 41,500. The tribe of Naphtali will be next. The leader of the people of Naphtali is Ahira, son of Enan. His division numbers 53,400. All the men assigned to the camp of Dan under uh, number 157,600. They'll set out last under their standards. These are the Israelites counted according to their family. All those in the camps by their divisions, number 603,550. The Levites, however, were not counted along with the other Israelites as the Lord commanded Moses. So the Israelites did everything the Lord commanded Moses 
And that is the way they encamped under their standards, and this is the way they set out, each with his clan and family. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, what do we get from this sort of picture and what's happening? So, in, in the first couple of verses, the, the people are supposed to know this one very important thing, that God dwells in the midst of his people and guides them as they march to the promised land. So, so the tabernacle sits right in the middle of the camp with all of the tribes placed equally around it. Three, three, and three. And so the picture is that of a, of a square formation. Three tribes are on each of the four sides of the tabernacle, some distance from it. And the, the point is this, that the presence of God, represented by the tabernacle, sits right in the midst of His people. And so God was equally present to help any and all of them. And He was equally present to guide any and all of them. So one person could reach God as easily as the next person. God was available right in the midst of His people. It's a picture of this, uh, that God dwells in the midst of His people. He dwells in the midst of His church. And He's always available to help and to guide. The 23rd Psalm, the second verse says, He makes me lying down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. In Hebrews 13.6 it says, So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So one of the things that we see from the beginning of this setup is how God is in the midst of His people and He's, he's the same, He's available equally to all of them. And uh, another thing we need to see is that, you know, the church, as the church advances, um, we need to make sure that we're giving God and the Word of God His, his place, the, the prominent place in the midst of His people. There was a picture of that too. Uh, and, that, and so the, the church, it's, it's, you know, it's all about Him. We say that all the time. He's the noun of the story. We are not. And so it's, it's about, you know, the, the Lord and it's about the Word of the Lord. And so we, we need to be honoring Him and paying attention to His Word um, to experience the life that He has for us. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So, um, you know, as we start looking at this, you need to see how amazing it is what's happening and how God is... Um, arranging this uh, army, his people, in a certain way so that they all understand that he's the center of this whole thing and that they keep that in mind as they go. Now another really important thing that's going on, and this really takes verses 3 through 33, so the bulk of this is how these tribes are placed around the tabernacle, uh, each man under his banner. And, and this is really neat when you, when you see what's happening here. So um, it's a picture of us that, that each of us, each believer has to take his place under the standard of Christ. And we, we stand then fast under the banner of God's family. And so, so the people of God were to camp around the tabernacle, as I said, in a square formation. And, and they were also to march in that formation. Um, this, this was, they were going to camp and they were going to march in the same way. This is how they were going to work their way through uh, on this journey to the promised land. 
And, and again, even when they were marching, it would place the, the presence of God in the very middle of the people of God. And, and so, now, you know, we're, we're counting the men, 20 and older there, 600,000, but that's not who's all on the march, right? The whole group is on the march. So there's two or three million people on this march that are working their way through. And, and what had to happen, because it's about relationship to God and relationship to one another, everyone had to know his or her relationship to the others. So each person had to know his place within the tribe, and each tribe had to know its place in relationship to the other tribes. And ultimately, everyone had to know their place in relation to the tabernacle, the symbol of God's presence. It's really a pretty cool story, right? So each person had to know their relationship with God. Each person needed to know their relationship with one another in that. And in effect, they needed to know their relationship. Uh, we would see it in our relationship to the church. And so the, the presence of God was the focus, as it always should be. Um, he was the one that was going to lead his people to the promised land. He was the one that was going to give them strength to, to conquer the problems that were going to come up along the way. And he was going to give them the help and the guidance they needed. And so each person then needed to know his relationship with, with God, his, his standing with God and, and how he stood among God's people. And, and so he had to know under which banner he was to march. And, and so they're, they're setting them up under their, by tribe and as a people and then as a community together with God in the midst. And the, the word comes up division or host and throughout this thing. And it means a unit, troop, band, division, army. It's really, this is a very much a picture of a military camp and uh, a military march. And when we see that, we're reminded of the fact that, that as believers now, we're, we're like soldiers in the army of God, um, just like them. And... Um, you know, we, we spent some time not that long ago talking about the armor of God that's available to us as believers because we're in a very real battle. And the battle we're in, it's a spiritual battle. We have a very real enemy. And our enemy is trying to keep, remember his focus. Our enemy is trying first to keep people that don't know Jesus blinded to the truth. That's his number one goal. He wants to take down as many people as he can. And so he's trying to keep people blinded to the truth of the gospel. When he loses a person in that battle, when, when we come to know the truth and we come to know Christ as the Lord and Savior of our lives and we're rescued from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, into the true kingdom because of what Jesus has done for us. Um, well, even though he's lost his ultimate goal, what he wants to do then is keep us from experiencing the life that we can have, the full and abundant life that Jesus came for us to give. Because if he can keep us from experiencing that life, we have less impact on the world around us, and we're, we're not helping the people that are lost find their way into the kingdom. We get all sort of off track, self-absorbed, consumed, filled with guilt, shame, whatever the enemy can do to keep us off track. And so in Ephesians 6, 12, and 13, we're reminded our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, it says we're to put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, we may be able to take our stand, uh, stand our ground, and after we've done everything, to stand, and then remember the armor that we talked about, uh, you know, 
week after week after, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the, the pictures throughout scripture, and there's many of them, um, are, are related to this idea of us being involved in battle. Second Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says we're to endure hardship with them like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So we're aware and we're seeing this picture that um, there's a battle. There was They were going to go through um, a lot of battles on the way to the promised land. And so do we, but God is in the midst and he's with us and he leads us and he guides us and he helps us and he prepares us and he gets us ready. All those amazing things. And that each of us has sort of been appointed a place. Uh, I like this. So the picture is that each of those people, they had a place in this whole process where, where they were called to be. And, and um, uh, like us, you know, each of us, we're related to all believers and all believers are related to Christ. And so we're the family of God and we, we stand under the great standard of Christ, you know, the great banner of God. And we, we follow after him and we do what he calls us to do. I'm going to be talking about this this weekend, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so that sort of is, again, it's a, it's a picture of our battle, what we're called into now, helping those that are lost come into relationship with Jesus. Another thing. Um, the tabernacle, I just, you know, it's, it's in the middle uh, of the people. The presence of God is there so that it's there on purpose so God could dwell with them and lead and guide them as they march to the promised land. It's a picture of him being with us today as we continue on in that journey. That, um, you know, Jesus came um, and, and uh, he became flesh and he dwelt among us, the Bible says. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then when, when Jesus, you know, went to the cross, defeated death, rose again, and then he ascended, and we're waiting for his return, uh, the second coming of Christ. In the, in the Now we have the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God himself dwelling in us, and he dwells in the church corporately, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves, and the way that word is, it's a plural, it means the church as a whole, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you, plural, that, that the Holy Spirit is in the church and also in us individually. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you received from God? You're now not your own, you were bought at a price and therefore honor God with your body. So all of these... Um, pictures that we're seeing in Numbers 2 of the presence of God and the, where the people belong and how they relate to one another is again something that we can apply to the church. And then verse 34, this was really good. They did everything that God commanded. That's really cool. They camped as God commanded. They marched as God commanded, at least here in the beginning. And that was really important. And that's where they would experience the blessing of God. That um, that's where we find life. See, is when we're living life His way, that's when we experience the life that He wants us to have. And so there's a picture of, of that whole process to 
to live this life and experience it in, in you know, the, the best possible way. We're to be doing it his way, not our own. All of us kind of struggle with that because we have a tendency to go our own way. But life is always found his way. John 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we'll come to him and make our home with him. So, um, you know, as, as his kids, that's our heart's desire. We talk about that. We want to live for him and um, in the process. And he helps us in that. And, you know, that's all part of the battle that's going on around us, learning to yield to him and doing it his way. But you start to see these pictures being developed of this whole thing in the Old Testament. And uh, that, I think, is the coolest thing in Numbers 2. If you don't take away anything else, take away the picture of God dwelling in the midst of his people and uh, available to his people, to all of his people. And then he, he's there to help and to lead and to guide, which is a really good picture for us today. But that's enough for today, if you're watching on the video, thank you for doing that. Come and visit us when you can. We'd love to see you. If you need prayer, go to the website, and there's a prayer page, and put your prayer request in, and uh, we will certainly pray for you. Come and visit us when you get a chance. God bless you. Thanks for watching. We'll see you soon.